Twitter at BK Glue Guys, iTunes five stars, rate us. We need them. We want them. We have to have them. Brian, like, don't sound the so Nets desperate. Are back. Oh wait, I forgot. We didn't hook. Anyways. Oh yeah. We. Oh, do you have your little board? Forget doesn't, it. Doesn't matter. Um, Brian, it's been so long since we've been in person that I forgot to hook up the freaking board. Fatherhood, man. Wow. Brian, <laughs> Brian held my child. It was it, a special moment. It was a good child. I've held a few now. Ranks easily top three. I think the whole key is, as being a father of a whole month, is just relax. Just just, just yeah. hold the baby like you're confident. Don't care about the baby. That's how I act. I don't, don't care. Don't care about the baby. Let him cry. He yeah, wants your you attention. Had, if you had given that baby to me two years ago, you'd have seen a whole different circus. But, um, you know, I've been through the ringer a couple times now. I mean, I've never had a baby, but as far as I know. But. Your skills at holding a child is almost like the Nets where you have grown from being um, a disaster <laughs> to somewhat competent, somewhat vaguely competent, confident, to, to not murdering the child. Yeah. Brian, the Nets are back. To that end, um, do you want to just lay down the fact that we're about to have Bob Windrum on the show? We'll have net income Bob Windrum on the show. What we're going to do is we're going to run through sort of the sort of the timeline of transactions that have happened in the past two weeks. We'll talk a little Dwight Howard stuff, buyout situation, We'll talk about the draft picks, what the Nets thought about those draft picks, and then we're going to talk free agency. What is this team going to do? Are they going to sign someone? Are they going to trade someone? Jeremy Lin, we don't know. We'll find out all of that coming right up with net income. Bob Windrum coming right at your ears right about now. Nice. Nicely done. All right, so joining us on the phone line is Bob Windrum, net income from Nets Daily. Bob, thank you so much for joining us on this crucial time for the Nets. Um... I kind of wanted to start first with, uh, like, kind of go back for a second. We before the trade or before the draft, we had a massive trade that we all got excited about, and then the player that was a part of it, Dwight Howard, we found out won't probably be a net. What do we know at least right now? What's going on with the buyout? Do we know how much the buyout may be? What do you think is going to happen there? No, I think I think you're still in the early stages of any sort of buyout discussion. Um, I think the Nets would like to, to, you know, buy him out at the normal rate, which is 65 to 70%, which would give them $8 million back. You know, Dwight would take away 16 and it would be roughly the same as if they hadn't traded Mozgov. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, they're going to be somewhat hampered because the way the trade is structured it can't be completed until July 6th. And that also goes for the buyout. So they can talk about deals up until July 6th, but they're really not going to have, as far as I can determine from my knowledge of the CBA, a lot of cap space before July 6th. So I think that, you know, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot there, but I think the bottom line is they did not want Dwight on the team. Mm. Um, and you know they could have gone that route, but they didn't want to do it. And I think it's quite obvious why they have a young team. 
Dwight keeps getting shuffled around because the coaches, some of them were the best coaches in the NBA, didn't like him. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there's that. And then, you know, there's, in terms of buyouts, et cetera, I think what you're probably going to see is, or let me rephrase that, what you could see is it even going beyond July 6th. I mean, this, these are tough negotiations. And I think what it has to do with is just how much Dwight wants to play elsewhere. Um, he can't sign anywhere else until the buyout is done. So if he has an urgency to play for the Wizards or the Warriors, then things will get done quickly. If not, or if they're not interested in him, uh, you know, this could go on for a while. So I was trying to figure this out, because um, when the reports first came out that the buyout was going to happen, it came from Dwight talking to, I think it was Chris Haynes at ESPN, saying, Correct. I want to I want to be bought out. I want to leave the Nets because I want to go to a champion-type level team. Do you think that the idea of the buyout first came from the Nets or first came from Dwight's people? I imagine that it first came from the Nets, but Dwight has acted like immediately that he wanted to leave. He did not want to go to the Nets. He acted well, as if that was not yeah. where he wanted to be. There, there's two things here. Thing number one is, yes, he did say that. Thing number two is what he said at the end of that statement or that interview with Chris Haynes which was he didn't want to deal with people who were trying, who were who wanted to talk about his past. What does that line tell you? That line suggests that you know, the Nets wanted to talk about his past. And that suggests, and I think it's accurate, that, you know, that it was the Nets' idea that, to buy him out. I mean, there was a lot of things going on last Thursday that, you know, all pointed in one direction, which is, you know, going forward in a way that is looking long-term. And the other part of that is drafting two kids, one of whom will be the second youngest net ever, uh, Zan and Musa, or Jean and Musa, and the other who's very inexperienced. I mean, Rodion Kurix has never played for the Latvian national team, only played for the under-20 team, and who Barcelona kept on, on their junior team. So and and he barely played there, um, not because he wasn't talented, but because they knew he wanted to move on to the NBA. So you had a number of things happen Thursday that point you in the direction is that you know we're in this for the long term, the very long term. Um, they could have gone with Dwight. They could have tried to make it work. He certainly would have, you know, checked off two boxes: rebounding and defense. Um, and then they went with uh, they went with the kids. Um, who are also European. So, I mean, there's, you know, they have a lot, they have a lot to learn. And, you know, as I said to Aaron Harris at the press conference the other day, maybe the press conference should have been held in the weight room. They look so thin. <laughs> I mean, that's the um, thing that is interesting about the buyout of Dwight is that, and I think it's a marker that we also need to recognize with Mikhail Prokhorov, and obviously now Joseph Sy is involved with the organization at a huge level too, but old Prokhorov would have taken that Dwight trade and he would have said, I'm not, I, would, I don't want to just pay a guy not to play for my team, especially a guy of Dwight's level. Like, I don't think Dwight's going to sell tickets for the Nets, but he would have been someone who would have made the team a little bit better, made the team a little bit more appealing you know, on the court, and potentially, 
you know, then in that effect, sold more tickets. Like, it is obvious that this team has decided to become that that doesn't matter, at least at the moment. Um, there is one big other piece out there that sells tickets in a way, and that's Jeremy Lin, and we don't know what he's doing. Zach Lowe brought up this whole uh, Jeremy Lin to the Suns type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Three times. Three times. So <laughs> what, what, what do we make of, of that? I mean, do because we, we were fearing, or some people were fearing, that like Damari Carroll may be gone before the draft. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson... Now this Jeremy Lin stuff is happening. So, like, are there trades floating out there? Mike's worried. It's so untimely because he's just now a Jeremy Lin fan suddenly. <laughs> I've suddenly, I've suddenly grown to the idea of like Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell playing together in a backcourt with Dinwiddie coming off the bench. That to me is an appealing backcourt. Um, are there more trades where, down the pike? Yeah, in but, is, but yeah, that's good. But that that but that you know you also have Harris Burn and you have Alan Crabb and. You know, there is a, you know, there is a, you know, and Musa refers to himself as a guard. He refers yeah. to himself as a guard. At the as a point guard. Yeah, he said he'd play that one. Yeah, and presser. by the way, he's got, he's got certain skills. Yeah. Um, but this is what I think. I mean, you look at this from a logical perspective. Jeremy Lin has missed 127 out of 120. 64 games he was eligible to play. Um, as of right now, he has not yet been cleared for full contact. They don't yet know whether he will be available by opening night. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? What does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, it, it's buried in a lot of different things, but you know, here, there, and everywhere. But if he's not going to be ready. Yeah, and he turns thirty in August. I mean, and you have these other guys, the oldest of whom is twenty five, twenty six. If you if you count if you count uh, Alan Crabb as as a guard, I mean, you know, that should suggest to you that looking forward with him as an expiring, now there really isn't much of a place for him. Um, and do you try to get value for him now? Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a funny story last year. I was talking to an insider at the Nets, and I noted that the day before the D'Lo trade, um, Woj speculated in a, or talked in a piece about the possibility of the Nets getting D'Lo and for Lopez, et cetera. And I said, well, I saw that, you know, the Woj is speculating. And this insider turned to me and said, Woj was not speculating. Woj was working. Mm-hmm. And I think that this may be the same case with Zach Lowe, who three times since Friday, you know, has said this. I mean, he said it, he said it today as well, in the last couple of hours. Um, so, I mean, you wonder what's going on here. Um, now, is this a prelude to something? Um, do I know specifically? You know, no. Do I suspect that there's something out there? Yeah, I mean, all the signs point to it. Um, will it happen? I don't know. Um, but, you know, they've got to do something. They they essentially have to do two things. They have to end the log jam in the backcourt and find you know, somebody else up front. 
you know, to, to essentially trade a, a, a small for a big um, if they want to be competitive, quote, unquote. So, you know, I look at it and I say, as Zach Lowe says, you know, this is, this is a logical now, this is a logical you know, step forward. Yeah. I didn't catch the Zach Lowe package. Did he talk about specifics, Mike or Bob? Anyone know? He kept bringing yeah, up, I mean, he, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say he kept bringing up Bender, um, yes. which is not exciting to me, um, partly because, I mean, I understand that he is a, a tall person who can shoot threes, but he's also not that good at shooting threes. Um, so he may just be a tall person. He has better you know he has gotten better well, I, and i'm terrified i'm my new thing bob is that uh, i'm big i'm a big two-point field goal percentage person <laughs> he's, he's zigging where everyone's zagging. of that's course it. you are because right? okay everyone's trying to shoot threes and so yeah. we only look at three-point percentage when the two-point percentage is the thing that differentiates a guy who is um, I don't know, let's say C.J. Miles versus someone who is significantly better than C.J. Miles. Maybe not even at the level of C.J. Miles is who I'm talking about. Like Bender was, I think, a 32% three-point shooter, which is fine if you're seven foot one, but he was also a 43% two-point percent shooter. 43% He's also, right. Oh, yeah. But he's also 20 years old. Well, I'm unforgiving, I mean, was, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I am unforgiving. I, I I want production right now. I mm. want. I'm expecting John Musa to come in this year and put up twenty and ten. Mm. So I'm a little. And the ten is, is that, assists. Is that by the 10, way, is that ten rebounds or ten assists? Ten assists. That's exactly ten right. Assists. <laughs> let's, let's get that what straight. What did you What did you make? Were you at the Were you at the draft press conference? Um, yes. Yes, I was there. What did you make of that whole setup, uh, Musa? What did you make of him? What did you make of Rodion's? What did you think of the whole sort of message that the Nets were putting out? Well, I think the message that the Nets were putting out is, you know, this is a development, but these two guys are development projects, but we, you know, we targeted them, and that's what they have, that's what they said, that, you know, these two guys were people who they had actually targeted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that's probably, if not, you know, perfectly accurate, 100% accurate, it's it's almost certainly, you know, true. Um, Musa is a real personality. All yeah. the writers came out of that came out of that press conference going, "Wow!" Yeah, I mean this this kid has you know this kid has swagger, moxie, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he also speaks excellent English. Um, and I mean, there, there was this one moment when you know Grady from Yes asked him, "When did you first fall in love with the game?" And Musa looked at him and said, when at age seven, my father gave me a ball, I looked at it and said, someday I will marry you. Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! I mean, this kid's 19 years old. But, you know, this kid had seen a lot. I mean, we did in the off-season report, you know, some uh, section on the the Bosnian under-16 team that won the European Championship three years ago and be, and united, you know, this war-torn nation. 50,000 people greeted them in the streets of Sarajevo. And he was right up there on the podium. 16 years old, a national hero. This, I mean, if this kid is any good, he's going to be a huge fan favorite. Eric Curix is, is, is also has moxie, considering that he said he wanted to beat 
he wanted to beat Christoph Porzingis' ass. I thought that was you <laughs> yeah. know, that was quite something. And and he um, compared himself to Kevin Durant. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, always yeah. Fun. Was, yeah. I mean, it's he, he's basically comparing his game, and that was his model. You know, his his English is not as good as um, as Musa's, um, and Musa also compared his game to Kobe, and he said he loved Kobe because Kobe was a killer. He wanted to kill everyone, and that's what I want to do. Well, okay. I, feel, I feel bad um, for those guys because there's a big stigma coming out of, like, you know, you're a European, so they want to exude a lot of confidence, so they come at you with the Kobe Bryant comparisons and the Kevin Durant. They say, like, yeah, I'm with the next Jamario Moon. It doesn't doesn't fly as, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't fly as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, continue. Right. No, but I, you know, I was very impressed with him. I also thought it was it was very funny when at one point Musa interrupted Mark. It was like, what? Um, yeah. And Mark's like looked at him and just started laughing. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you can tell that they're very much they're very they're very happy with what they got. I mean, and look, they could have gone another direction. For example, Keita Bates Jop was on the board. A, mm. a perfectly good player from Ohio State. That's my boy. Mike's that guy. was my guy. Mike's guy yeah. yeah. But he's and he's three and a half years older than Musa. Um so, you know, that's the sort of decision that they made. Now he was still there at forty and they didn't take him. I think he won at forty eight, which was a bit of a surprise. But, you know, what you've got here is a you know, is a is a calculus that, you know, look we're in this for the long term. We got time. So, you know, we don't need to bring in, you know, somebody like Keita Bates Chop. Um, you know, we'll 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 take our time. We'll be patient. Um and, you know, we like these kids and on top of that. Um and you know, what was interesting by the way was um we turned around at one point in the uh, in the press conference and you know, sitting in the back was Alan Crabb. Um, and standing in the back was Tiago Splitter. Um, you know, I mean, guys who came in from the gym you know, to watch. Uh, and, you know, there's, you know, there's a sense there that these kids, you know, you know, can, can give them something. I mean, everybody thought one or both of them was going to wind up, you know, as a stash and absolutely not, you know, and, and apparently, you know, Curex has already has a deal. Um, you know, um, a four-year deal with, with near first-round money, um, which is probably, you know, a $6 million deal. Um, and that's interesting so, in its own little way because so the second-round draft pick, there's no scale. There's, there's, nope. there's, no, there's no real parameters. I mean, I know there are some. So teams, when they make those decisions, that's got to be one of the long – that's got to be tied for the longest second-round draft pick contract you know, in recent history, because yeah. teams just don't give out four-year deals like that. Yeah, well, they did to Whitehead. They didn't, you know, he had a, you know, Whitehead had a very similar deal. And there are a couple of teams that do that. And, you know, and they they want to hang on to these guys because they think they're going to develop nicely. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's by no means common. Um, and so, you know, again, that's an indication of, you know, this is a long-term project. Let's let's try this guy up. He may not be, he may not be NBA ready, you know, next week. But you know, we got him for four years. Um, so you know, let's see what we can do with him. So, and, like, you know, oh, sorry, continue. 
Yeah. And the other the other person that's interesting is, you know, is Theo Pinson, um, you know, who was a who basically, if you look at, I mean, he can play a lot of different positions, but his real NBA position is a six foot seven point guard. Hmm. He can't shoot very well, at least now. Um, but you know, they signed him to a guarantee as well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at, you know, they're looking long-term at a number of these guys. They're looking at development and they're encouraged, of course, by their successes. Um, you know, led by, you know, led by Harris. So speaking of like, you know, these sort of, you know, long-term investments and stuff, what, what do you actually think insofar as you can tell is the team's internal timeline? Um, like, do you take them at face value uh, when they say we're going to lay this infrastructure for sort of indefinite success by creating a developmental mill? Uh, or or do you think that they will, you know, next summer when the Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler duo becomes sort of like hotly bandied about, are they going to be first on the line to start sta- sacrificing assets um, for like high caliber, yeah, high notoriety yeah, players? Uh, Right, or they wouldn't. They would. They wouldn't have done what they did with the Howard Mozgov deal. They wanted to get rid of Mozgov, sixteen point seven million dollars. You know, nobody thought they could. Right, <laughs> and yet they did. Um, but this all goes back, in my mind, the issue here is something that Louis Scola, of all people, told Zach Lowe in July of last year, which he said. Talking about you know the manner in which the culture works and the facilities and the city and everything, mm-hmm. he said once they start to win, they'll get everything they want, mm. but they have to win, <laughs> and that is good bit. that is the question. Yeah. You know, because if they don't win this year, you know they're going to go into next year with fifty or seventy million dollars in cap space. And people wondering, you know, can you, you know, if I come here, are you going to win? Right. Um, you know, do you have do you have the other pieces? Now, they have to hope for you know a big jump from D'Lo. They have to hope for a big jump from from Levert. They have to hope that you know Alan Krabs' post All Star break performance is going to be is going to be replicated for a whole season you know it's, yeah. and they have to By post all-star break do you mean like four games where he played well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm so yeah. down on alan crab i can't even begin just because he matters so much to this team because he has to be more than what he was last season um yeah. let's yeah. say 48 percent more um so he just He's he to me is maybe the third most important player on the team behind Jared Allen and D'Angelo, because he just he's pay, being paid so much money. Yeah, I mean he is paid so much money, but if on the other hand you have fifty to seventy million dollars in cap space, it right. becomes less money. Yeah, um, that money know. doesn't matter as much, right? Right, and I think that you know if if you're you know if you're bumping up against the cap or the luxury tax threshold, then yeah, it, it means a lot more. But if you've got fifty to seventy million dollars in cap space, you know both his money and and you know Darren Williams five point four <laughs> seven million dollars in dead money also the doesn't matter idea. that much. 
Yeah. Huh? The Bobby Bonilla of the Nets. It's uh, yes, he just keeps yes. getting. I mean, it's obviously different, but he keeps getting paid. And I think who who made the buyout was that Billy or was that Sean? That was Sean, right? No, that was no, no, that was Billy. But my understanding was Billy was not. Billy had to be convinced of it. Billy was not crazy about the idea. That was my understanding. Friend of the podcast, um, Billy King, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back to Billy. Um, but yeah, now my understanding was that that's what happened. Um, that you know that they that they realized that they weren't going anywhere and that they had a big payroll and it wasn't working. And also, you know, he wasn't he wasn't exactly the world's greatest teammate. Um, I hadn't heard that so, before. Um. Yeah, I, yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, my favorite part of that story is that he. That he spent more time on the road dining with the security guys um, than he did with the team. Um, but you know that in of itself, I found interesting. Um, you know, separate from everything else. But in but the key thing here is that if you look at what Kraft did at post All Star break, you know you're looking at forty one percent from three. You're looking at like seventeen points a game. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's hope there. And I, and, and, you know, they, they look at that as hopeful. Um, and, you know, and, I mean, it wasn't as good as Joe Harris post, uh, you know, post all-star break. He was the, he was the best three point shooter in the NBA after the all-star break. Uh, and in fact, the other thing was that their all of their percentages with the exception of, of Dinwiddie's jumped after the all-star break. I, I forget what I, I may be wrong on this, but they had something like the sixth best shooting percentage in three-point shooting percentage in the NBA after the break. Um, you know why that happened? I don't know, um, but you know that's what they're built on. Um, and what is the highest priority that Jared Allen is pursuing in the offseason? What has he told people? Three-point shooting from the top of the key, specifically. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're committed to that. Yeah. So should, should we, should we begin mourning the loss of Joe Harris to the Warriors like now, or is that how far (laughs) along in that process are we? I, you know, where's the Warriors going to, I mean, look, if, if the Warriors decided to give him the MLE, which I think is available to them, um, that would be a cap hit or a tax hit of something like $20 million. Um, are they going to be willing to do that? And you know, I don't know. Um, is there a limit? You know, at which point the Nets say, Joe, it's been great. Good luck to you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what is that number? Is that number above $8 million, which is where the MLE is? Um, I don't know, but it's probably not, you know, probably in the ballpark. Um, and I don't know what he's going to ask for. And, you know, you have to remember that the market is not what it was. I mean, Lou Williams got $8 million a year in, in his extension um, in, in midseason. And, you know, he was averaging 23 points a game and was the leading scorer for a team that was, you know, on the cusp of the playoffs. Took my fantasy team to so, a chip. Come on. Huh? Took my fantasy team to a chip. That's... Who is that? Yeah. Lou Williams. Come on. Oh, yeah. Got him in like the 14th round. What are we talking about? And he's going to be traded, too, at some point. 
I know. I just yeah. I, I think because his contract is so low, it's going to be like every. I'm thinking of the Morris twins contract when they signed that deal. It's whenever you give a team uh, not the benefit of the doubt, but you give them a break and you say, "I want to be here." If you don't get a no trade clause, that contract ends up being so uh, great in terms of value that it ends up getting flipped. And the Clippers probably would like to flip it as soon as they could because it's such a good contract for their team. Yeah, it's it's he's a little older than Joe, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of other factors in there, but. You know, do I think he'll get more than six and a half, seven from somebody else? Maybe, but I'm I'm thinking now, who else is willing to do that? Because nobody's going to sign him to be a starter that I can think of. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, if you know, the Warriors interested in him um, as a starter, I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and there's no room for him there, and there's no room for him other places. I, and, you know, I, I don't think it's a done deal, even though both sides have, you know, have said, have said, you know, great things about each other. But I think, you know, there's an understanding that he is essentially the exemplar of what they're about, mm-hmm. both you- on and off the court. In terms of, so we focus so much on who the Nets were going to trade before the draft, and then we get to the draft, and we focus so much on who they drafted, and now we're here at free agency, and it's almost like we all kind of forgot that the team could sign people, obviously depending on the Dwight Howard buyout. Um, Do we have any sense on if the Nets are interested in actually signing players, who that type of player would be, Um, maybe even some names that they are – I mean, I think Brian Lewis – tweeted out or wrote an article about Mario Hazonia is someone the Nets would be interested in. Um, do you have any any idea of who the Nets may be kind of feasting after in free agency? Well, I mean, Hazonia is somebody you have to look at because there's a logic to it. They were interested in, in trading for him, um, you know, before the, before the trade deadline. So now that he's an unrestricted free agent, well, you would assume that, you know, they haven't fallen out of love with him. Um, and there you would assume that the acquisition of two development projects in Musa and Jurex isn't, isn't going to change their mind either. Although, who knows? Um, but, I mean, that's one possibility. I think another possibility is, you know, do they, if, if, if the Lakers do get lucky and get Kawhi and LeBron or Paul George and LeBron or Paul George and Kawhi or whatever and they've maxed out their maxed out their you know their payroll um, you know and, and they're stuck with and they're, they they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't be able to match a deal for um, for Julius Randle um, you know maybe that's a possibility um, you know I mean Anthony Tolliver is, is a name fans have thrown about um, yeah, I mean, those are the sorts of you know, names, and yeah, and there are you know again there are kids on the there's interesting players on the summer league team. Um, you know, Ding Yang Yu Wang is no slouch. I mean, this is a guy who was a two-time most valuable player in the you know in the Chinese league and looked really good last year playing for Dallas. I mean, he's an interesting character. Um, you know, you look around and and you know you. See, 
you see, you know, Theo Pinson is a uh, is an interesting character. And I read recently that Jordan McLaughlin, who was the six two hot shooting point guard out of USC, not only has a summer uh, a summer league invite, but has a training camp invite. Um, you know, so I mean, there's some things there. And to be quite frank, you know, we're talking about an organization that keeps those decisions very close to their vest. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's not like the Billy King era or the Rod Thorne era where it was even more open. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just throwing out names and I'm not sure, you know, how real they are. But those are, those are names that, that, you know, have a certain logic to them. Um, and, uh, you know, and then a backup center for, um, you know, for Jared Allen. And I would probably be a veteran. Yeah, they would probably look for a veteran there, uh, and that's easy because I mean they they, you know Zeller, a guy who I liked was a the guy they picked up. They traded for a second round pick, and that was easy. Um, you know, they're going to be backup centers out there. That's yeah. not something you have to stress out over. You know what I mean? Like, and I know you like Montrez Harrell, but it seems unlikely that the Clippers are going to let go of him. You know, I haven't seen anything on him. I mean, I forget who suggested him. Oh, it was Bobby Marks, who, by the way, as you recall, putting aside Zach Lowe's, you know, obsession with trading, you know, Jeremy to the Suns, Bobby has been saying the entire offseason that the Nets' top priority should be, quote, find a new home for Jeremy Lin, unquote. He also suggested Montrezel. Um you know, Harold is a possibility. And you have to assume that, you know, you don't have to assume, but you can assume that Bobby knows something. Um, or Woj knows something and told Bobby. Or Zach knows something and, you know, vice versa. I mean, those guys, you know, those guys know things. And when I see names pop up, you know, on their, on their list, I say, well, I should, you know, I should file that under interesting. Um, but yeah, again, I mean, I'm I, the other. I don't know enough about what they're about what they're going to do, and what I'm also afraid of is any information I get one day will be perishable two days later <laughs> um, because of all the other machinations that are going on in the league. I mean, suppose suppose one of the suitors for Kawhi Leonard or you know calls up Sean and says, "Look, I need, I need, I need." I'll give you a draft pick. Well, then, <laughs> things change. Um, so, and you now that is one thing he has said, and he's repeated this over and over again, which is we have to be opportunistic. We have to be opportunistic. We have to be ready to move. You know, there's this is going to be, at what point does it go from being a buyer's market to a seller's market? And are we ready for that? And I don't like surprises. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's... I think what what he's saying is, I'm open for business. I'm, you know, if, if you need help, we're here, but we're going to exact a price. And so far, you know, he's done well with that. Um, and, you know, a while back, you asked me about a timeline. You know, how many years away, you know, I've heard three to five. I've heard, you know, I've heard people say that we're willing to, you know, to do five to seven if it means we're going to be a perennial contender at the end of that process and mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I'm going to be 78 years old and you know <laughs> yeah. um, you know 
Sure. So, uh, but you know, I, by look, the way, all of those I, just to interject: five to seven means that they're tanking this season. Um, yeah, I know we don't like. Yes, so it would. Brian's brought this up a couple of times. Secret tanking. Secret tanking. It's it's not, it's the it's, it's the, the Jaleel Okafor branded tank. That's yeah, it's the, you yeah. get Mario Hazonia. You say we're going to exactly. work on or Dwight Howard. I honestly don't think Dwight Howard would have added you many W's, if any. Maybe taking them away. Maybe a little bit, but I like the Nets could say that we're growing, and they've built such a good great culture around you know the way that they've been doing things. But they trade Jeremy Lin, Damari Carroll, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and just say we're growing, and then that's a secret. This tank. is this is always my sort of like secret fascination is because they draft these positionless guys, Karis Levert and Rondé. Well, I mean that was a Billy King guy, but you know Kierks and I mean, and Musa are like kind of prototypical positionless guys. But then they always seem to be like taking flyers on these dedicated position full people in order to you know. I think justifiably self-sabotage is my, <laughs> is my like grand grand scheme. In the short term, it didn't make a ton of sense. But going forward, I think you'll see a lot of that. A lot more Anthony Bennett pickups going forward. Um, that's my sneaking suspicion. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't know what's going on, but I what I do think is that I think that they are still in the rebuild mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that that is, you know, that that is a, that, yeah, and that shouldn't be surprising to anybody. I mean, it really shouldn't. I mean, you've got, you're looking at a huge, you know, cache of cap space. Your, you know, your own pick for the first round pick for the first time since 2013. Um, and you've got, and you know, and you could get lucky and get a second pick if you know you're needed as a facilitator. Um, um, you have the next second round pick, which should be around the same as yours. Um, uh, you know, so it's. I mean, uh, the watchword I still think is patience. Mm. I mean, that to me is still is still the key thing. The watchword is still patient. And, you know, you you look at Joe Sy, he has to be patient because he's not taking over for, you know, for three years. Um, and the other thing, by the way, to note is the NBA bylaws are quite clear that the principal owner runs the show. You know, Joe could own 10% or 49% if Michael Perkeroff is the principal owner, he runs the show. He makes the decisions, um, and I think that that still that will still be the case, barring unforeseen circumstances, until the twenty one twenty two season. Um, so, I mean, you, I think you'll see Joe a few times a year. You'll probably see Perkeroff more um, because he has less responsibilities with the Nexum. Um, and, uh, you know, and he has more international investments. He has more investments in the U.S. now, um, according to Bloomberg, than he has in Russia. Um, so you'll see, probably see more of him. And I think you're going to see more of him, you know, making critical decisions. Um, I don't, I have seen no indication that they are, you know, that they are not on board with the, uh, you know, with the long-term nature of the rebuild, um, no, I mean, there's, I mean, they they have gotten religion, you know, after mm-hmm. after the pain of the last five years, um, 
So I, I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any indication that you know they're going to come out tomorrow and say you know we got to win this year, um, or we got to sell tickets this year. Uh, I mean, they would like to sell tickets, but God, I don't know how they're going to do that. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be looking at NetsDaily.com a lot over the next week and a half. What a pro. Uh, refresh. Refresh. <laughs> just refresh. keep refreshing. Z, hit that Z button, boys. Make, a Nets, make a, the Nets Daily Twitter feed a notification because you don't know what trade may be coming, what signing may be coming. A lot's going to be happening as we get down to the stretches free agency begins. Um, and the July 4th holiday, a lot of action happens around then. So, Bob Winter. Yeah, and, Tom, and, and all right, and thank you. And, and you know, and Tom Lorenzo decided to go off this this weekend and get married. Oh, so so you know, I'm you know, I told him to turn his phone off, um, but I also made sure that Pooch keeps his on. Um, so I mean, we're going to be one man down for the weekend. We got to have um, Tom and Pooch on the show. It's it's been. It's it's at this point it's just it's offensive honestly <laughs> they're dodging us I agree, I agree. Yeah. all right Bob thank you so much for joining us sure thing all righty okay. bye bye take care bye. all right so that was an interview with Bob Winter Net Income Brian what did you glean from it what did you find out what did you what did you learn that you didn't know I thought of a good PR buzzword spin for the covert tanking that we're going to be doing next season ready yes dynamic losing. Dynamic losing. I can see that in a PowerPoint yeah. in like a in the glossy yeah. sort of conference it's a hinky, room. It's a hinky double speak kind of thing. Dynamic, yeah. and it like shoots yeah. onto the screen. Um, I do think we need to have a tanking podcast because we need to talk about what that that world is going to look like. Because you know what, like it's not the worst it's, idea. Here's what the, here's what it is. It's dark because we've been so bad, and then now we begin the tank. That's, <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to send some people careening over the cliff. It'd be like being in a country of civil war, mm-hmm. and then a, a, a dictator takes over. Yeah, a blight. Yeah. Um, so I will, I do, I will say this one thing about tanking is that there's not going to be that many teams doing it next season. One because the draft's not as good, and two, there's just. Did we got Zion? What are you talking about? Jana? What's the? I can't believe we haven't figured this out yet. DZ. I need to figure no, out why Zion Williams. Oh, oh, that's who I want on this team. Yeah. more than anything in the world. Uh, Zion, six, what's the six five two seventy? Wait, there was a good like Riggin for Wiggins, um, like snappy dying thing for, for Zion. Zion. Oh, dying for Zion! I hadn't heard that one. Well, that's so, good. Just bringing it up. Yeah. What we'll do is killing we'll do yourself a, for Zion. We'll yeah. do. <laughs> we'll do a. We'll do a, a tanking pod at some point. Like I feel like that's like a August. An yeah. August pod is a tanking pod. It'll get forty listens. <laughs> um, no, but I think I got out of that uh, net income interview. It was, of course. I mean, Jeremy Lin seems seems like he is more on his way out than more on his way to be on this team next season. And that would be pretty significant. Um, I have no clue what his trade value is, though. Zach Lowe keeps saying Dragon Bender. Dragon Bender, I guess, what he was like a top five pick. Dude, I watched some Dragon Bender clips not too long ago. I was not impressed with what I saw. He does not do very much. That's my thing. It's that I think we're so three-point shooting obsessed, mm-hmm. and he's not even that good at it, but we're like just so obsessed about that. He just I, doesn't – he's not an assertive person. I mean, like, like Bob said, 20 years old, lots of – how assertive were you at 20 years old? I remember you at 20 years old. <laughs> oh, my, at 30 years old. Yeah, exactly. Can't order a drink at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please. Don't, don't get me started. My, <laughs> my wife, who, who just gave birth to a child, has uh, been an, an amazing trooper – 
uh, working way harder than I have been as a parent. Oh, wow. We were out to get oysters at Chelsea Market at a Colin Pistol. And you were like, listen up, every waiter in the place. I'm a father now, and I need some oysters. <laughs> yeah, it was the opposite. Sam was the assertive one, uh, and I was sitting back. She looked at, you know the, the thing when you're at a restaurant, someone looks at you and says, are they going to get our drinks? Are they going to ask for, like, are they going to ask for us for our order? Meaning, like, wait, so now I'm confused. Sam's asking me, she's saying to me, are they going to get, come here to get our order? What she's saying to me, the subtle sign is that you should probably, as a man, get up and say, uh, hey, do you have a second? We would like to order something. That's not how it sounds like you're having your, your night's already off to a weird start. If, if the, if the pattern of, What's your drinks? What's your order? Is like askew. Is that often the case with you guys? You might have. How often does that happen to you where like the waiter doesn't know to come to your table at the right time? What happens is that I would never assert myself and ask for a drink. I can can almost, I I can diagnose this from afar. You give them a weird vibe to start and then (laughs) they don't know how to behave around you. Yeah, I've just, I've I've really learned also. I found out, I don't know how I I finally figured out that when Did I you, ordered, took, you got rid of that hiss. Was that that was amazing? Did you just do that with that knob twist right there? Yeah, but that shouldn't have done it. But it, there is no hiss. That's oh incredible. Oh my gosh, that's so helpful. Was that going to be recorded or? Yeah, that's fine. We'll leave it in. Great. Um, you know, when I go to like a coffee shop and I order a coffee, and I'm putting the card in the little credit card slot with the chip, I have never looked any of the people that are taking my order in the eye. Because I don't want to force myself upon them. I don't want to exert my will on them. I want to give them my order gently. The one I like, McDonald's has this now. They have just the video screens where you're just typing in. Oh, man. You're like one of the, you go to LaGuardia and you go to the iPad thing. That's how you know like the world is, it's not doing well. Those are disgusting, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Those things. I went to the guy and I was like, is there, can I just get a coffee? And he was like, you got to put it in the iPad. And I struggled with that thing for five minutes, <laughs> and I gave up. And I was like, I, "I'm either gonna leave, or you're gonna give me this coffee." And he's like, "Goodbye." <laughs> it's goodbye. All those, th- all of those things—the iPad, the self-checkout—all slower than having a human do it for you. So slower, so much slower. I had, I just, t- I just spoke to you, and you know, I want coffee. Just you could just be go getting it right now. Pour it in. Pour it in, <laughs> you know please. I, want- I no. need coffee. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, what did we get from that <laughs> income interview? Uh, let's debrief the interview mm. like they do on Real Sports after they have the reports. I wish I, I didn't talk to him about Julius Randle. Well, I kind of did indirectly because we were talking do you about want this. Julius Randle? No, I don't. Well, it's another thing. It's like <clears throat> positionless. This is dynamic losing, right? <laughs> this is we're adding, you know, a an interesting piece with giant air quotes. I don't know. How interesting is Julius Randle really? People seem very high on him. It's an archaic way of being. There's, there's a reason why he's sort of out there to be had, right? You know what he would be? He would be a guy who would get you 15 points, 17 points a night. And that is valuable-ish. But, like, what else is he doing? Yeah, rebounds, fine. He's giving you rebounds and points. But it's not like a dyna- dynamic losing. It's not a dynamic offensive way to play basketball. He can't really play the five, but he's now playing the five. I don't want him. I mean, if they signed if him for not, one year, eight million, I would take it. If but. he's not a six-seven ball handler, I don't want him. That's yes. That's how I feel. Yes, you know, but because it's not even like he's seven foot two and a dinosaur from an old era, and he, you know, it's like he, he's someone that like you could convince yourself to be like, you know, what everyone's going small, we're going to go big. What he is is a guy who's a classic four who now is being forced to be a five. Doesn't protect the rim. He's not even a classic four. He's kind of an undersized four, but. Yeah. 
I loved him in college, though. He was he had three games to start the season for Kentucky where he beasted kids, and I was like, oh, he's amazing. And that's that's been my entire I scouting profile of him ever since I saw him last year, and he was like better. You know what I did recently? I went back and watched some of the Pistons Lakers games from the finals in like two thousand four. <laughs> okay, dude, I I can I just recommend everybody to go do that. Go look at like game five. Um, oh, I know. And just see what the first of all, what the Lakers like game plan was, which was there was this homeboy named Medvedenko. They were like Medvedenko, you're shooting long twos all mm-hmm. night on these mm-hmm. boys. <laughs> <laughs> that was their they game They would run plan. screens of like <laughs> yeah. 18 feet They're out. They're like, Rasheed Wallace is not ready for you, Medvedenko. And that's literally their game. Every, the first five plays that they run, and to his credit, Medvedenko is dirty, so he's he's ripping the cord. <laughs> but Yeah, where is he? <laughs> Bring still, him back. It, to, to look at today's version of basketball and go back and like watch you know the 15-year-old version of, of, of a finals game, it's like shocking. It's really shocking. There was, uh, you know, those Lakers years were especially... Um, like, you know, Shaq post heavy or whatever. Um, but it is so stagnant by today's standards. It, it will really blow your mind. Well, and what's interesting about those Lakers teams is that you have the Shaq post game. So the, the, the energy of the court is right by the rim. And then the second big energy ball, the second big Goku Kamehameha, Kamehameha, Kamehameha ball of energy is in the mid-range with Kobe. Right. It's not even like it's like by the rim three-point line. It's not the new dynamic that we the have. The fish Clint three Capella. is your ball. It, it only happens in the last two seconds of a shot clock. That's that's it. He the only three-pointer. Hits, and then yeah. Robert Ori like twice a game. Right. Right? Yeah. I was watching the so the the same experience. I was watching Jordan's game against the Jazz where he hits the shot over Byron Russell. Yeah. It just that like just everyone is shoved in the middle of the court trying to get off shots in the middle of the court and that is it. Yeah, it, or, you know, people. There's often this whole like fascination with. I mean, obviously, for a lot of good reasons, Michael Jordan and that era and that style of play for its roughness and all, and like, um, there's it, it just really cannot be stated enough that like when this new generation of basketball players, the Steph Curry generation of basketball players, they grew up shooting three pointers, practicing shooting three pointers, and this new generation has like you know transformed uh, transformed the game like irrevocably. Um, and it's it's really like when you like you're doing any kind of stupid comparison between LeBron James and Michael Jordan, it is so clearly a different version of the game at that point. It's just people learn to play it different. The three point line didn't didn't um, arrive until uh, Michael Jordan was like so it was 198 or seven, uh, 79 or something is when the three point line came out. Guys, uh, what was he drafted in 86? I mean, like he, he had never shot a three pointer in his entire life until that point. Um, so anyways, it's just an entirely different game. And I can't, I, I don't want to get into it with you, Mike, because I know you want to. I know you're chomping at the bit to start <laughs> with your goat versus Gorn whole bit. This is goat greatest. versus Gorn. Yeah. I think that is, I'm sorry, I'm proud of myself over that. Because I think it's true. <laughs> I think we need to end goat arguments and we need to talk about Gorns. Gorns are the only thing that matters. Uh, if you're not up to date with well, that, Gorn yeah. is greatest of right now. That is, that is, goat is obviously greatest of all time. Gorn is greatest of right now. LeBron is a Gorn. He is not a goat. He could be a goat. I don't know, but you also need to say that Michael Jordan was a Gorn of his time. That's what you have to do. That's what you've never. And Bill Russell, I guess, was a Gorn of his time. Right. And but baseball is the only thing you can do that's that's goats because it's all just fat people hitting hitting a little other ball. This is going to be a ninety minute show unless we wrap this thing up. Tell me where we can find the show. Just one sec. I just got. I got to break this down. I just think. If a Jeremy Lin trade happens, mm. 
I don't want it to be for Dragon Bender. I'm not going to be excited about it. Okay, I'm not going to come around to Dragon Bender. So just because <laughs> so, here's the fact, Dragon, you heard it here first, Doug. Here's here's what I know. I know that Sean Marks listens to our podcast or at least reads everything I write for Nets Yo, Daily. There's no way he didn't. And that Dwight Howard thing happens. I'm telling you right now. You you came up with that Dwight Howard trade. I came up with the Dwight Howard trade. I only did that. I don't know if you saw this. So I wrote the piece for Nets Daily. This was about a month and a half ago. That that was a definitive account of that bald basketball players are better than people with yes, hair. Yes. Okay. An definitive. Impor- an important piece. I, I want to direct everyone's attention to it now. It should have been in the Atlantic yeah. next to Ta-Nehisi Coates' stories. Yeah. Which I literally have posts. in my backpack. I have a... Of course you do. Yeah. Because you live in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah. They hand it out when you, when you I move. I New York. You look <laughs> at over there. Uh, you get your stack of New Yorkers that have never been touched. <laughs> oh, my God. My mom... I said, okay, this is how I got those. Real quick, I'll go back to the bold point. I said to my mom, I have a child now. And I was like, I don't want to be watching the TV that much around him. I mm. want to be reading things. I don't even touch them. I read yeah. New York Magazine, which is on top, because they have stuff right. about food. Well, they have that New matrix in the back. That's, you know... Yeah, because I can approval matrix. look at that. <laughs> An infographic. Come on, all day. Um, I wrote a piece, Nets Daily, definitive account that bald players are better than people with hair. Michael Jordan, Shaq, Karl Malone, LeBron. Okay. So what I said was that you should measure the hairline of a prospect, and that's how you pick a guy. Trey Young is going to be great because his hairline is reckless. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> Jean and Musa is distinctly balding at the age of 19. Really? Distinctly balding. Unless if he shaved his head... In the way, you know, when you, you know, the no, he's going to have, he's going to have one of those thin, it's just going to be thin until he's like 50. You know how it is? John and Busa? Yeah. You don't think so? Well, I always feel, I kind of like those haircuts. I feel bad for really tall, thin people because they, the clothing is, t- I mean, you have to get fitted clothing. It's just tough. Mm. It's a tough look. Um, they don't, by the way, they don't Kevin feel Mutombo bad for looked us. great at the award, NBA awards show. I don't know if you saw, he had like a great floral suit. Oh, I, did not catch the word show. Yeah, the, you wouldn't the, guess it. The ratings were down yeah. massively, uh, about twenty-seven percent. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Where are you getting your data from? <laughs> Who's your data guy? Deadline dot com. <laughs> um, Brian, you can find us on iTunes and everywhere else you get podcasts. Almighty Baller, netsdaily dot com. Add BK Glue guys on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. I haven't updated it in a long don't, time. Don't go to our Facebook page. <laughs> I'm just going to start posting inflammatory statements on yeah. that and see what happens. Yeah. Um, five star reviews. We, if you would, it would be awesome. You don't have to, but we yeah. would love it if you did. Um, and we might, you know, we'll start shouting them out or something. You know, we need to do. We're, we're going to have a mail mailbox podcast soon, mailbag podcast soon. So send in some mail, get some thoughts out there, and we'll do that. You know, we'll we'll pepper out some Twitter advance notice for that, right? Yeah, we'll do something like that. Anyways, hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. Oh Thank- wait, I actually have an outro. Keep talking. Oh, um, so I'll just like prolong this little goodbye. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Whoa, the classic.